welcome to Aviation United by Aviation Zorro. I'm delighted to be chatting with board certified urologist still actively practicing in a Midwest urology group in the US. Every day he is helping men in diagnosing and managing their prostate issues, including but not limited to robotic. I have to you have to help me with this one. Prostectomy. Did I say it right? Yeah, prostatectomy. You did. There we go. (laughs) For men (laughs) with prostate cancer. He is also the founder and host of the Prostate Health Podcast. With the podcast, he is helping men and those who care for them better educate themselves regarding prostate health, the conditions that affect the prostate, and the latest technology in managing these conditions. On a weekly basis, he is chatting with experts, innovators, and leaders in the field of urology, sharing useful information with the general public to improve their lives and increase their overall health. A very warm welcome to the show, Dr. Garrett Pullman. How are you today, Dr. Garrett? Doing very well, and thank you so much for having me on today. It's my pleasure. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. So let's get this started. For some unknown reason, the listeners want to know, where are you right now on planet Earth? What are you doing? Where are you? Well, I am currently practicing as a urologist in the U.S. Our practice is located in the state of Nebraska. For your listeners in Ireland that don't know where that is, if you look at a map of the U.S., you'll see Nebraska, which is in the center of the country. In fact, the city where I practice is located exactly between Boston and San Francisco. Nebraska is also known as the beef state. Agriculture is the number one industry in Nebraska, and cattle production represents the largest segment of the industry. And I actually grew up on a registered Angus farm in northeast Nebraska. So we, we have this fascination in Ireland or Europe with the weather. So what's it like at the moment? What's the weather like in Nebraska? Are we hot, cold? Well, for the beginning of December, it is unusually warm here right now. No snow on the ground. It's sunny. And our highs this week have been in the mid-60 degrees Fahrenheit with lows in the 30s. Oh, that's very pleasant. Well, we'll crack on then. And generally, our topic of discussion today is prostate health. Uh, But can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what motivated you to focus on prostate health? You bet. Um, So every man has a prostate and many will ultimately be inflicted with benign enlargement of the prostate that can really affect their quality of life with bothersome symptoms, or they can be affected with a diagnosis of prostate cancer. So since finishing my urology residency training in 2013, I've already treated over 5,000 men with various prostate conditions. However, going through my practice caring for men, I began realizing that there was never enough time to give patients every bit of information they needed and wanted. I felt like there was just so much more in terms of education that I wanted to get into patients' hands. I felt like there was so much more I could do to empower men and their loved ones to give them the information they could use and apply to their own lives. So ultimately, I created the Prostate Health Podcast. And as well, I'm also currently uh, working on preparing to launch a Prostate Health Academy. Oh, wow. And when, when does that hope to launch? When, when is the plan well, to get that up and running? Well, uh, it's still, still in the works, but, you know, and with the working full time as a, as a physician doesn't allow for a lot of extra time to, to put that together, but we, we continue to make steps. We're hoping for, you know, for the new year in 2021 um, uh, to launch that. So we'll, we'll, we'll hope to get that out uh, here awesome. soon. That's brilliant. So then can I ask you then, uh, Dr. Carrot? so we, we hear, as you mentioned there, with regards to prostate. So where, where is it? in the body and like what is it is it like a is it like a little donut is it p-shaped or what what is it that's a great question and uh, many men are not aware of the function uh, or location of the prostate or the impact it can have on their lives the prostate is a small walnut-sized gland which is located below the bladder uh, the urethra which is the tube that drains urine from the bladder actually passes right through the prostate and the prostate's primary function 
is to produce the majority of the fluid for the male ejaculate, which helps nourish and transport sperm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and is, I mean, it's, it, as you said yourself, it's a walnut uh, uh, shaped. I mean, why then does it cause so many problems or issues? I mean, this little walnut, or why does it cause so many problems or issues? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, you would think that um, such a small gland, how could it cause so many issues? But but it, it really can. And um, as the prostate enlarges with age, it can start to press on the urethra and ultimately cause blockage of the urine flow from the from the bladder. And we call that enlargement of the prostate or BPH, benign prostatic hyperplasia. And can we do anything? I mean, you mentioned it with regards with, with age, but I mean, firstly, we can kind of cover what's the average age that you can have prostate troubles? I mean, is it men in their 50s or 60s or is it much younger than that? Yeah, it, it actually increases with age um, and it kind of depends on whether we're talking about, you know, just the benign enlargement of the prostate, which, you know, that begins early on. But many men, uh, once they get into their 50s and 60s, start having uh, symptoms of an enlarged prostate. There's also inflammation or prostatitis, uh, which can be a inflammatory response within the prostate, sometimes caused by infection. And, and that can actually uh, occur in, in men, you know, much much younger, you know, even in their, you know, 20s to 40s. So, And, and can we do anything as, uh, you know, younger men to kind of prevent these problems happening later on? I mean, can you take supplements or is it just a case of, it's just one of those things that it, it more than likely is going to happen? Yeah, you know, that's a good question too. And, and there actually have, have been many, many studies done looking at supplements um, in terms of prevention of you know, prostate disease. And, and unfortunately, at this point, we don't have a magic pill. And, and so you, you're correct with, you know, with age, you know, these, these problems can occur and that's why it's important to, to be aware of them, you know, cause, and then we kind of get into some of the, you know, what signs and symptoms to watch for, you know, and so as that prostate begins to block the urethra, it can really cause bothersome urinary symptoms. Some of the more common symptoms include, you know, frequent need to urinate both day and night, weak or slow urinary stream, a sense that you can't completely empty your bladder. Uh, difficulty or delay in starting urination, and also having the urgent need to urinate and dribbling at the end of urination. And we also had mentioned the prostatitis, where again, there's could be inflammation of the prostate gland. This is a, another condition. Um, some of the symptoms that uh, men should watch for include pain with urination. Other symptoms men may see include pain in the pelvic area, groin, genitals, their back, at times flu-like symptoms but also sometimes just similar symptoms to enlargement of the prostate, including frequent urination, urgent need to urinate, and difficulty with urination. And, and then lastly, there's you know cancer uh, of the prostate gland. Prostate cancer, there are usually no uh, early symptoms, especially with you know early uh, prostate cancer, which is why prostate cancer screening is really so important. It's interesting you say that because my, my own father, uh, on a personal level, he's going through uh, prostate cancer uh, treatment at the moment and he I think he's, he's doing radiotherapy at this pro- present moment in time and he was mentioned uh, the, the specialist was mentioning these things called uh, nod- nodules is it nodules they're on the prostate like little is that correct is it correct yep the nodules or firmness of the prostate and are they are they the cancer itself or is it something that's kind of like like a little how do you say a little wart or a pimple is that the way to probably explain it like what what is these nodules or what is on the prostate that kind of makes yeah. it be cancer yeah so 
um, when we talk about, you know, we can kind of get into the, the prostate exam uh, with that. And, you know, this is called uh, the digital rectal exam or DRE, you know, and, and for the test, the physician will use a lubricated and gloved finger with gentle insertion into the rectum. You know, the test is brief and while it may be uncomfortable, it's typically not painful. Now, this test is used to palpate changes in the prostate gland, including enlargement, irregularities in shape, and for any concerning nodules or firmness. And so, not every man with prostate cancer will, will have these nodules or firmness on exam, um, but, as, you know, but they can. And as that uh, prostate uh, cancer um, starts to grow and enlarge, it can kind of start to protrude from that prostate to the point where we can sometimes feel it you know, on the exam. Just one of the components that we use for prostate cancer screening, we also use the PSA. PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen, now, this is a protein produced by the prostate. Small amounts can be released into the bloodstream. Now, one way to think of the PSA is a man's check engine light. When the PSA is elevated, it's time to get checked out and make sure that something's, there's nothing there that you need to worry about. The PSA is specific to the prostate, but not entirely specific to any one thing within the prostate. So things like enlargement of the prostate, prostatitis, but also prostate cancer can account for a rise in that PSA. So we utilize both the the digital rectal exam to fill for, you know, potential nodules um, and the PSA for prostate cancer screening. While there may be some limitations of the, the rectal exam, it is still included as part of prostate cancer screening because, again, it may find cancer in men who have actually a normal PSA level. And is there any specific, I mean, say, for example, your urinary flow is normal and you seem pretty healthy. I mean, is there any recommendation that irrelevant of maybe having no symptoms that you still get your PSA level checked? Is there, would you recommend like men over 40 or 50? Correct. So backing up a bit, um, just for some context, I, I think it's good to know that, you know, prostate cancer is quite common. One in nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during his lifetime. It wow. is the most, yeah, it is the most frequently diagnosed solid cancer in U.S. men and the second leading cause of cancer death just behind lung cancer. So with early detection, we are saving lives. Detecting prostate cancer at an early stage offers the best hope with a five-year survival rate at nearly 100%. Now that drops to 28% if it spreads to other parts of the body, which is why, again, prostate cancer screening and early detection is so important. As we talked about, you know, as men age, having more you know, chances of, of being affected by prostate conditions, uh, prostate cancer is more likely to, to develop in older men and in African-American men. About six out of every 10 cases of prostate cancer diagnosed in men who are 65 years of age of, or older, and it is rare in men under 40 years old. So the average age at diagnosis is around 66 years old. But prostate cancer screening should be taken, you know, after, you know, a risk and benefit discussion between the, your physician. As far as when to start, you mentioned, uh, it really depends on which guidelines you use. I personally like the, what are called the NCCN guidelines or National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines, uh, which recommends early prostate cancer detection at age 45. And starting at age 40 years old, if the, you're African-American or have a history of germline or genetic mutations, such as the BRCA1 and 2 mutations. So, you know, and then we talk about the diagnosis of prostate cancer. This can only be made with a prostate biopsy, uh, which may contain samples of a dozen areas in the prostate and sometimes more. And typically it's sampled using a transrectal ultrasound uh, guidance. And the current uh, NCCN guidelines suggest uh, if you have a PSA level of three or above, 
as far as having that discussion about a potential biopsy or, or further evaluation. I mean, the, the, the trans, was a trans, trans rectal biopsy. Is that what it's called? Correct. There, there's different ways to do the biopsy. That's um, There's a transperineal uh, ultrasound guided uh, biopsy. The most common one currently utilized is a transrectal ultrasound probe. So much like the, the rectal exam, that's how we you know, get to the prostate to do the biopsy. Kind of uh, a small ultrasound probe is inserted just, just right inside the rectum where we can then visualize the prostate. We inject a little bit of nummy medicine around the prostate to make the biopsies more comfortable and then take typically take about on average six biopsy samples on each side, so 12 total uh, samples. Now, uh, we also are beginning to utilize MRI to also look for you know, lesions within the prostate, which could potentially be targeted uh, in addition to the you know, systematic uh, general biopsies that we use. Um, so I, I think we are looking more and more at utilizing MRI, especially for men that have already had a negative biopsy, but but also now potentially, you know, using that more in men initially for their initial uh, biopsy. And can the symptoms, the signs and symptoms of prostate cancer different from other things? Um, or are they, are they kind of similar? Yeah, yeah, that's a, and that's a great question because with, again, with prostate cancer, typically men do not have any symptoms, again, which is why, uh, prostate cancer screening is so important. You know, some men as, as with the cancer already advanced, where it's potentially spread to other parts of their body, uh, some men can uh, present with uh, bone pain, blood in their urine or weight loss. But, but typically um, early on, uh, the prostate cancer you know, usually does not have any symptoms. And can diet, I know we didn't touch on this previously, uh, but can diet be a factor of getting prostate cancer? I mean, sugar and, and glucose, too much of that. Is, is there any scientific proof or, around that uh, suggestion? You know, when we talk about, you know, potentially, you know, prostate cancer prevention, uh, I think is, you know, maybe a little bit about what, what you're getting at. Uh, yeah. There, there, at this point, there is no proven prostate cancer prevention strategy, but you might be able to reduce your risk of prostate cancer by making healthy choices, such as exercising and eating a healthy diet. What we say is, uh, what is healthy for the heart is healthy for the prostate. So, you know, I think, you know, low fat diet, increase the amount of fruits and vegetables you eat on a daily basis, exercise and maintain a healthy weight can all be good, good things. Um, you know, there are also, you know, what we consider risk factors um, associated with a higher risk of developing prostate cancer, you know, not, and not just age, but we do know that with age, the risk of prostate cancer increases rapidly in men over 50 years of age. In fact, 60% of case of all cases of prostate cancer are diagnosed in men uh, over 65 years of age. Uh, also race. So prostate cancer occurs more frequently in African-American men and Caribbean men of African descent compared to men of other races. Also geography. So prostate cancer is more common in North America, Northwestern Europe, Australia, and Caribbean islands compared to other regions. Um, the differences in risk may be partially explained by the availability of more intensive screening programs and lifestyle differences. We look at family history. The risk of prostate cancer is higher in men with affected relatives, suggesting that prostate cancer has a heritable component. The risk of developing prostate cancer more than doubles for men with an, eff with an affected brother or father. However, oh, okay. most cases, yeah, however, most cases of prostate cancer are in men without a family history. And lastly, um, we talk about, um, well, two more things. One is gene, inherited gene changes. So there are several gene changes that, that appear to raise prostate cancer risk, but 
likely account for just a small percentage of cases. This is kind of where we get into talking about these mutations that I mentioned earlier, the BRCA1 and 2 genes, um, which has the function of helping repair damage to DNA. And then uh, lastly, uh, other risk factors. Uh, so that's kind of the BRCA is more of a germline mutation, but then we talk about somatic mutations. That's where we kind of get into um, diet, obesity, and smoking, and uh, potentially as a risk factor. Can you tell me, can you live without your prostate? I mean, and if you can, what would you expect with the man's works down there when you go to the toilet afterwards? And what would be possible, or is there possible issues that you might have with? no prostate or removal of a prostate? And that's a, that's a great question. Um, the short answer is yes, you can live without a prostate gland. Now, you know, one of the questions I sometimes get from men after they learn about some of the various things that can go wrong with the prostate or they, there are, or they are having issues with the prostate, you know, can't you just remove my prostate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer to that is, you know, the answer to that is that we only completely remove the prostate gland or what we call again, radical prostatectomy in the setting of prostate cancer. And, and not for benign enlargement or prostatitis. Um, they're, because they are definitely potential side effects to consider when you remove the entire prostate gland, including potential effects on urinary control and sexual function. You know, and with prostate cancer treatment, um, unfortunately there's typically no free lunch when it comes to prostate cancer treatment because we, we can potentially affect you know, quality of life issues um, you know, with surgery. Uh, when you remove the prostate, it's possible that you can affect the sphincter mechanism that holds the urine in place when you cough or sneeze or lift something. And so after removing the prostate, men can have some, some leakage with uh, activity. Um, typically, that does get better with time. And uh, the success rates in regaining that control are, are close to you know 90% uh, percent, uh, at one year out where men are just down to no pads at all or just one pad a day for some occasional leakage. Um, the other quality of life uh, measure that we can affect are, are the nerves that control men's sexual function to to mean uh, to have erections, and so those nerves are basically stuck to the the capsule of that prostate. And so, and, and some men uh, who have kind of lower to intermediate risk prostate cancer, in some uh, situations where just some limited high risk prostate cancer, they may be candidates uh, for what we call a nerve sparing prostatectomy, where we can actually gently um, leave those nerves uh, within you, kind of peeling them off of that prostate capsule. But even, even in doing that, sometimes those nerves are, are bruised and stretched and, and it can sometimes take recovery, uh, take some time to recover that function. Um, and, and the same goes with radiation therapy for prostate cancer. It can affect the men's urinary control, oftentimes more overactivity and urgency where they can't make it to the bathroom on time, but it also can affect the nerves too that control that sexual function. So. It, 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 with the treat, treatments themselves, when you're going through the, the therapies, as you mentioned, I mean, is it specific to the individual what treatments they get? Or is it a standard kind of across the board? Because, I mean, will, will you get chemotherapy, including radiotherapy? Or is it just depending on how much the prostate will be affected? And then if you do get this therapy, what, you know, how would you be feeling? Would you be feeling like kind of tired or... I know you mentioned some of the symptoms there, but you know, are you generally kind of sluggish? Do you feel sick or nauseous? Or is it depending again on the individual? Where men are first diagnosed with prostate cancer, and we're talking about prostate cancer that has not spread beyond the prostate, have several treatment options. Um, so really, it depends on their risk stratification. There's different things that go into that, including a man's uh, 
PSA level at the time of diagnosis, their uh, overall Gleason score, which is kind of an indicator of maybe how aggressive the prostate cancer is. But um, in general, the kind of the main treatment options for localized prostate cancer include active surveillance, which means that you're not pulling the trigger yet on treatment unless needed, uh, with the advantage of potentially avoiding or, de or delaying the side effects of the various treatments. Then there's surgery. Again, we talked about the radical prostatectomy, which involves removal of the prostate gland, the seminal vesicles, which are glands behind the prostate, as, as well as removing some of the surrounding lymph node tissue. And lastly, radiation therapy, which utilizes ionizing radiation or photons to kill the, the cancer cells. How radiation works is it damages the cancer cells DNA. And so again, surgery and radiation are the two most common uh, treatment options. Again, with radiation therapy, so, uh, sometimes an additional treatment option that will be added in with the radiation, depending on the man's risk uh, stratification, um, especially for men with more higher risk prostate cancer that are getting radiation, also will get what we call hormonal therapy. And this is called androgen deprivation therapy that lowers a man's testosterone level. And so it's it's been found that combining this hormonal therapy and the radiation together allows the radiation to work better. Now we don't typically use the hormonal therapy um, in addition to along with the surgery. So it's typically just with the radiation for, for certain candidates. As far as other treatment options you might hear out there, there's also cryotherapy, which involves killing the cancer cells by a freezing process, as well as high intensity focused ultrasound using heat to destroy the, the cells. But again, the, the most common uh, three are again, active surveillance, prostatectomy or surgery and uh, radiation. Now we did mention the hormonal therapy. Um, so there's also men that, um, you know, unfortunately present or, you know, are found to have cancer outside of the prostate. And so it's not no longer confined to the prostate spread outside the gland. We can, we call this advanced prostate cancer. Now for these men, the mainstay of treatment involves hormonal therapy, again, called androgen deprivation therapy. So this is not chemotherapy. Um, again, one of the major breakthroughs in the treatment for advanced prostate cancer was, uh, was by Charles Huggins in 1938, and he discovered uh, hormonal treatment for prostate cancer and was ultimately awarded the Nobel Prize for his work in 1966. Okay. Again, he, dis he discovered that if the production of male sex hormones or testosterone is prevented through castration, the cancer could be suppressed. Um, now, we're not curing the man's prostate cancer. We're suppressing it. How this is done currently is through medication, where we're able to su suppress a man's testosterone to very, very low levels, and it also then suppresses the prostate cancer activity. So again, that's more for typically used for you know, advanced prostate cancer, but also, as we mentioned, it's sometimes in combination with radiation therapy. Sometimes it's used to help shrink the prostate down prior to what we call brachytherapy or putting radioactive seeds within the prostate. That's another form of uh, radiation treatment for the prostate. And can we bring back a little bit, you mentioned there uh, previously uh, prostatitis and, and, and an enlarged prostate. If you were not to get treatment uh, for pricey prostatitis or an enlarged prostate, say you're a young man, I mean, would you expect it probably to go away eventually or would you need like a course of antibiotics in a non-cancerous situation? With enlarge or with benign enlargement of that of the prostate, um, it's one. Of, it's typically not just going to go away on its own. Unfortunately, as that prostate continues to enlarge, you know, it's going to continue to cause issues. The problem with that, and one one way I kind of explain it to men is there are two muscles in your body that you really don't want working against a blockage, and the one is your heart, um, but also your bladder. So. Right. 
if that bladder is having to work harder to push the urine out, um, it's going to start to affect your bladder health. And we start to see damage uh, within the bladder. So we, we look in the bladder with the telescope and, you know, we, we see this, you know, from time to time where there's already kind of fibrous bands or what we call trabeculations for, forming throughout that bladder. Th this is irreversible damage, small diverticula or what we call sometimes cellules, little outpouchings of that bladder wall starting to form. You know, you don't want to wait too long if you're starting to have these, you know, bothersome symptoms. You know, if we can fix the problem early on, um, you know, we can prevent, you know, this damage from happening. And, you know, we, we can do a whole episode on the treatment for an enlarged prostate, but you know, I think we're, we're now starting to see a shift in the paradigm of how we're treating an enlarged prostate where, um, you know, back in the eighties, when medications first came out, our alternatives or to fix the problem were more invasive. And so of course, men, you know, just wanted to take medic medication and avoid uh, treatment uh, or to fix the problem. But in a sense, we're kind of just kicking the can down the road with, with medication. There's potential side effects with medications, but we're, and we're not, fixing the problem in, you know, I don't think we're really preventing the damage uh, from occurring just by taking a medication. Now with prostatitis um, or that inflammation of that prostate, that can be a, a condition that can kind of come and go or, or flare up from time to time. And in, in, in some men, unfortunately, can be more of a chronic condition. And so, um, but there are some, you know, again, it's, it's still important just to kind of not ignore it and, and make sure that you go in and and get evaluated by your physician to make sure we're not missing something more concerning. I mean, some of the listeners might get uncomfortable with my next question. And it's, it's an interesting one, especially with uh, uh, friends or colleague of my, colleagues of mine, where they would kind of, because men were kind of a little bit more, which would be kind of macho, uh, kind of like signs and symptoms or, or issues. We kind of, you know, as you mentioned, we kind of let it kind of grow a little bit before eventually we do get some help advice what about the question I was asked asked today from friends and colleagues in the aviation industry was on a men's side if a man is experiencing painful uh, ejaculations is that the sign of a prostate issue or maybe an infection it certainly could be that could certainly be a, a potential sign of um, you know an infection within the urinary tract or, or within the prostate more specifically um, or prostatitis and so you know, again, if, if a man is having, you know, ongoing uh, pain, um, again, it's important to, to get checked out. You know, I think men are, I think we're just notorious for not yeah. wanting to be the doctor, um, <laughs> you know, and, and there actually can be definitely some overlap in symptoms caused by various medical conditions. And so, which is why Dr. Google or WebMD is, is not a substitute for going to your physician. Um, sometimes, like we said, waiting too long may result in negative outcomes in the case of the enlargement of the prostate potentially these irreversible damage to the bladder if left untreated for a period of time. And for prostate cancer too, potentially missing a window of cure if prostate cancer is not diagnosed early on. So again, you definitely need a, a trained medical professional, professional to evaluate the situation, determine the proper evaluation assessment of your uh, current situation and a potential treatment if needed. Well, man, any men out there listening to this, you know, get yourself uh, checked out. There's actually, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, Dr. Garrett, that there's a, there was a joke many moons ago, and it's got to do with the moon, where when the prostate uh, was being checked, that people would sing um, Moon River when the doctor was to place uh, his gloves on the rubber glove treatment. And then when he goes to check the prostate, the patient would sing Moon River as a way of calming. Has it ever happened to you? No, you know, I, 
the also <laughs> goes back to uh, I think it was a, a movie with Chevy Chase uh, on it as well, and I think there was an episode where uh, Chevy Chase did did say the Moon River <laughs> when he was getting his prostate. And I do have some patients that bring that up, and men's uh, blood pressure can go up going into a urologist office. We don't, you know, a lot of times don't have men just lining up outside the door to get their prostate exam. And so, <laughs> so I think sometimes, uh, you know, men like to utilize some humor to kind of get them through. Uh, the moment so <laughs> yes the, the the what what we call is it the white coat syndrome is that what you say in the u.s as well that's right yep that that blood pressure starts going up and <laughs> yes and it, anytime i go for medical it's kind of interest my, my blood pressure is okay and then i i see the white coats and it's like oh time time to uh kind of take deep breaths and get the blood pressure down but i suppose as you said yourself it's kind of a normal reaction for us men you're the host of uh prostate health podcasts so what can our listeners expect from this podcast? You bet. So um, the Prostate Health Podcast is really aimed at giving men the tools they need to be proactive about their health care. You know, it's, it's certainly no substitute for going to, to their physician, but I think it can really help men and their loved ones really take the initiative to maintain their health and be ready and educated to manage the problems that come along the way. You know, with the Prostate Health Podcast, uh, on a weekly basis, we're chatting with experts, innovators, and leaders in the field of urology, sharing useful information with the general public to improve their lives and increase their overall health. Um, for those listeners um, that you have that want to learn more about prostate health, they can subscribe to the Prostate Health Podcast. This can be found on most major platforms, including iTunes and Spotify, and just subscribe there uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode. Or you can also go directly to my website and listen into the episodes. We have show notes there and some helpful resources. Uh, the website for that is www.prostatehealthpodcast.com. Now, I also, you know, hopefully uh, as a treat for your listeners, um, what I've done is I've prepared a free mini webinar where I discuss my top three tips to promote a man's prostate health, but also longevity and quality of life. And to, to get to this, uh, this webinar, uh, the address, and, and we can probably just include this in the show notes too, but it's www.prostatehealthpodcast.com forward slash men's health. So again, for those listeners that are you know really serious about improving their prostate health, that is um, www.prostatehealthpodcast.com forward slash men's health uh, to join me for the webinar for my top three tips in promoting a, a man's prostate health. Oh, we'll definitely, we'll definitely put that link in. Can I ask you as well, are you on any other formats? Are you on uh, Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, you bet. They can follow me on all those, um, pretty much all of those, you know, Twitter, Instagram, and, and LinkedIn. You just, um, I know for Twitter and Instagram, it's at G Pullman MD. That's at G-P-O-H-L-M-A-N-M-D. Um, we also have an active Prostate Health Podcast Facebook group. And um, they can find this at, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash prostate health podcast, or just you can use the Facebook group search function and search for the prostate health podcast and act asked to join. Well, on behalf of myself, uh, and Aviation Zara, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with us today. You've, you've, you've educated me, and I'm sure you've educated our listeners as well. And uh, as uh, Dr. Garrett has mentioned, you, know, you can get in touch with them. He has a prostate health podcast. We'll put the links in there with regards to how you can get in touch and also information on the, uh, the webinar. So thank you again, uh, Dr. Garrett Palman, for chatting with me today on Aviation United by Aviation Zero. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.